everybody, welcome to the Voxology Podcast. We got a we got a show and a half for you today, ladies and gentlemen. First of all, I am joined by my oldest son. Yeah. Nate. Nathaniel. Yeah. Nathan. Big Nate. <laughs> many different versions of that. Darth Nader. Nate has is not okay with the fact that Seth and Hannah have both been stars on the podcast. I'm jealous. Yeah. And then he's got no no love. Got Nate, no love. Nate, talk to us. First of all, tell us about how great it is to have me as a parent. Man, it is awesome. Um, <laughs> I'm so blessed. I'm happy that you sound you like know, a coach at a press I'm conference. Happy, I'm happy that my dad. <laughs> You know, invites me to Pure be on the genuine. podcast. Yes. In a way. Oh, oh, just kidding. Oh, so. well, come on. Now you're in college. Yeah, I know. But you know, how's college been? College, you know, <laughs> pretty cool. <laughs> I mean, not much, not much to say. It's pretty. Sometimes it's pretty boring. Yeah. Um, but soccer's fun. So yeah, Nate's playing not, soccer not for over. his college. So it is, it is. But um, yeah, just just excited to be here. Finally, <laughs> finally included. You know, yes. <laughs> Who would have thought it's the a, favorite a, child would be the last one on the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't I didn't think that would happen. Oh, I know. We saved the best for last. That's all that. That's yeah. all that was. I mean, obviously, we've proven that you know we can call in to the yes. podcast. Like, yes, in, in the past, I've done that. Yes. Um, yes. So there hasn't been a single time where my father that was several has asked me. Oh, oh you want to call in? <laughs> say hi to people. No. You yes, you can zoom in. That's true. <laughs> That's true. So Nate, Nate, let's ask you this big question: What is what is the biggest issue confronting the American church these days? Um, and Nate did not know I was going to ask. <laughs> I had no idea this was coming. Like wow. Um, what do you think? Well, I'll preface it. With my biggest issue right ooh, now ooh. is jealousy of my siblings. That's fair. And then <laughs> that's fair. The biggest issue facing the church. Nice. Honestly, um, <laughs> do I answer this seriously, or can yeah. I, or can I make a joke? Both. All right. Well, I was just gonna say, like you as a pastor, but that's. Just, <laughs> <laughs> that's not, <laughs> Kidding. <laughs> kidding, guys. It's not true. Oh, but it is. Man, I don't know. I think I, I haven't seen like a lot of it to know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't want to make any assumptions. Okay, but, so so but, if you get up every Sunday morning and go to church. Yeah, well, no. Exactly. But <laughs> why? I think the biggest problem is um, I think... I remember hearing something like, um, like you have to be perfect at church mm. in some circumstances, and um, I feel like it kind of should be the opposite. Like you're not. It's the whole point. It's like you're not. You're not perfect. Nobody's perfect. You're gonna make mistakes. There's, there's tough stuff that mm-hmm. everybody goes through, mm-hmm. and I just feel like in some places it's not really welcome to talk about it. Like you're gonna have to. You kind of have to dress up nice and pretend to be like perfect for an hour and then go back home and be real um, i don't know i just feel like yeah. it should be like a community and safe and yeah how is it being home uh like after being away no it's it's good um you know to all the podcast people out there that are listening <laughs> i'll be i'll be brutally honest like nashville's not home to me 
Um, yeah, Ohio still is. Home isn't a building, you know, it's a people. <laughs> so, wherever my mom, De- Hannah, and Seth are, it's Oh, <laughs> oh my goodness. Now, for those of you that are relatively new to the program, uh, Nate Erie got Instagram late. And decided upon arriving on the gram to troll every Instagram post true. that we did as a podcast. And and man, I'd rack in the likes from <laughs> people did from <laughs> the, the adults. Yes, I'd get like thirteen likes on my comment. Boom! You know, just when you're new to the gram, thirteen likes is like the whole world. I just felt like I was on top of the world. Like I was the coolest person. <laughs> and now, like. Yeah, now that's now I feel like I can't do it anymore. You know, no, you can't. Like like Voxology, it's legit. Like guys, check it out. It's way legit. Like we're starting a YouTube. We're starting a a a vlog, vlogzology podcast. Vlogzology. I like that. Perfect. I don't know. know. I'm just making stuff. It's so good to have you home, boy. I'm happy to be home. Happy to be on this podcast. (laughs) Finally, (laughs) just watch this. This the ratings are gonna go so up now. Yeah, um, and, and just as, so you know, Nate's adjusting his hair. He's he's been I running am, his fingers through this glorious mane. I just I just feel like I'm jealous of my son's hair. You know, look good, look good, feel, play good, feel good. Yeah, like yeah, speak. <laughs> yeah, well, good. Yeah, so yeah, look good, feel good, speak good. That's uh, I've actually lived by that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, as much as this would be great to hear the insights of one Nathaniel <laughs> Carl Erie, um, we're gonna we're gonna say something that Seth delights in saying. Hey Tim, hit that music. What's up, everybody? You know what time it is. It's Nate. Play my theme song. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my shy, introverted son, Nate, who you yes. just encountered. Good Lord. He lacks all manner of confidence <laughs> and, has, that. and has mastered the art of sarcasm. Um, <laughs> anyway, we're so glad you're joining us. So we got a couple things to set up. All right. We got, we got a, some business to do. And then we're getting into some deconstructing, deconstructing talk. Um, and it's going to be glorious. First of all, this week. Uh, Brandon and Samuel and Gabriel and Chris and Josh and Dan, the dudes representing on the Patreon. Thank you, gentlemen. Uh, Although Chris, I shouldn't make that assumption. Chris, Chris could be a a feminine. I don't know. So it's true. People make assumptions. People, thank you. Um, We are, as we've said, a, a 501c3 nonprofit. And we're crowdfunded. And so literally as we head into the new year and are thinking about things uh, that we can do, um, the financial support from people like you is just amazingly helpful. Because uh, we, we do have plans and schemes and shenanigans and shenanigans. capers um, planned uh beyond much much more beyond just uh, the podcast so thank you so much for believing in us and for those of you that do the whole year-end giving thing um we are you we are tax deductible if that matters i personally am also tax deductible just as a just <laughs> as, as a entity. status yeah as an entity i am an entity absolutely and then um 
Today, Tim is bringing, and we need a name oh. for this. Okay, yeah. so so we have Tim's Troubled Times. One. Yeah, we're going to yeah. crowdsource this. I'll give you some of the names we've talked about before, but Tim has got a recurring segment called Tim's Troubled Times, where Tim reflects on troubled times, as the name suggests. But we wanted to have a positive <laughs> version of that. That's right. And, and, and so we were thinking about Tim's treasured thoughts, um, Tim's thrilling uh, titles, um, <laughs> But we need your help, crowdfunding. We need your help. Tim, tell us about this segment, what right. we're going to be accomplishing, and then, and then people can, uh, can let us know um, if they have good ideas for it. Yeah. So, you know, just real quick, I, you know, podcasting's super weird. Um, you know, it's just Mike and I talking to one another, having a conversation, and uh, oftentimes you'll forget that there are thousands upon thousands of ears that are listening and participating in that conversation. And, you know, when I talk about churches in my hometown or whatever, I'm usually speaking in generalities. Most of the conversations we have happen off air, right? So in tons and tons of emails and social media exchanges uh, and conversations. And I try to, that becomes like an amalgam of stories and scenarios that um, I'll comment on or that affect me in different ways. And I don't want people to think that it's about them directly, um, especially churches in my town that are doing great things. Uh, it's important. Um, well, let me say this. I'm not a pastor. I'm not doing the hard work every day with people. Mike is, but I'm not, I, you know, mm. and I've resisted doing that for a long time. And, mm. you know, what I do have some experience with is that as an artist, as a, as a musician and, someone who's dabbled in filmmaking and writing. Um, I'm not a big fan of art critics because often art critics, and I know they serve a very important role and um, place within the artistic community, but often they're not artists and, uh, but they, they criticize and critique and tell people how to interpret art. And I think that in a lot of ways I become a critic of churches and pastors, but I'm not a practicing pastor. Um, Mm. And so in that way, I kind of have, a, and sometimes I become something that I despise, and I don't like that. Um, and I don't want to say, you know, I stand by all the criticisms that I make, all the troubled times that I have had. Those are all real, and I don't, um, I'm not trying to take any steam out of that. I just don't want people to feel like those are directed at them. You know, but one of the things that um, mm. my, my wife, Shauna, she threw back on me, uh, Gombus's. Mm you know, the anger and the powers of principalities at play with anger. And she said, you know what? You sound really angry. And she's correct. I am very angry. And um, I don't want that poison to be the... I'm working on getting it out in general, but I don't want that poison to be the only thing that's in the well. So this is in an effort to do better. Um, I want the churches in my town to succeed. I want the big C church to succeed. I want to see you flourish and heal and do good. So in light of all of that, uh, I want to introduce a new segment that highlights things that the church has been doing well in the world. Uh, We don't always see that stuff. Mm. So I want to spend time highlighting that and giving that some some space. So uh, uh, this is a story that, you know, came across my desk. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> about a, a church it was faxed in, it was faxed <laughs> in the netherlands that um held this 96 day long prayer service 
uh, because in that country, the government is not allowed to interrupt um, church services, and they're trying to help a family that was being deported to, an Armenian family that's being deported. And so they held this service so that the government couldn't come in and take this family, and the government ended up allowing the family to stay and a, a bunch of others. And it was just a cool... And one of the things the article says that the families together had like 700 children that are not going to be sent out of that country. And a lot of them have been there for over a decade. And mm. so it was this really cool way that the church, not for um, mm-hmm. publicity and not for anything, just for those families, did something super positive in the world. And I want to acknowledge that I know that that stuff is happening. We live in a salacious time period where we only really see the super negative or dark headlines because those sell because we all like to look at car crashes for some reason. Um, We don't often see the really good ones. So I wanted to highlight that. And then I saw this rather cool one. Um, So this is the segment, whatever it's going to be. Tim's trying. Tim's Tim's thoughtful. So you guys send us the. Yeah, we need help. But there's a, yeah. Yeah, the because the but text it needs to match up well with Tim's not helpful. <laughs> yeah, this is a Christian podcast, uh, so in the in the uh, sense of being pastorly, it has to have alliteration. Yeah, Tim's and, tepid thrills. Yeah, Tim's tickled times. That's a terrible one. Tim's times for treasuring, <laughs> <laughs> which I said sounds like precious moments. The other story that I found was there's the these guys that build a new sanctuary for troubled veterans. Um, in a new in a New Jersey forest, and it, it wow. says fifteen hectares. I don't even know what how big that is. I, I don't know. Yeah, I have no idea. I'm imagining that that's a lot. I um, weigh five hectares. So, okay, so just to give you three of you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they he donated uh, however big that is in New Jersey forest for homeless outreach organization for um, veterans who have been suffering and you know his thing was he his partner uh got bladder cancer and died and wasn't really being taken care of by veterans affairs and different things and he was just saying hey our government's not doing a great job of taking care of our vets which is something that both sides of the fence seem to advocate for right Mm. both conservative and progressive have their different versions of how they advocate for how we should be taking care of veterans but yeah um, often we're not really seeing that done and these guys came and and did it on their own and just said this was a, a need that needed to be met. And so they made a place for you know displaced veterans to come and um, work through addictions and mm. mental health and um, other things like that. So I love that. that so we need cool. we need a, we need some help. First, we need a title yes. for this segment. But secondly, if you come across anything, dear listener, singular, in your wanderings. On the interwebs that you're like, hey, this is really cool. Yes, that was. I love that. that. Yeah, because that stuff doesn't come through in the in the main headlines. Um, but if there are great things that you see the church doing, um, where they are seem to be embodying what Jesus has asked of us for one yeah. another, send it yeah. to email hello. It to us. Yeah, hello, hello at Vox Podcast. Podcast. And I know we haven't updated it, but we forward We'd like it to, to highlight it. Yeah, hello at voxpodcast.com. I love that. Because we're not only just negative Nancys over here. Negative no, we're, Nates. We're Let's dancing. Just say negative Nates. No, we're, ooh, we're <laughs> dancing Nancys. That's right. For the Dave Matthews fans. Um, oh. But speaking of not being just critics, 
We have a fun conversation today. <laughs> Look at that segue right there. Look at that. I know. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, uh, a, a guy who had been a guest on our show, Joshua Ryan Butler, had written uh, an article for the Gospel Coalition website it's, uh, talking about the four causes of deconstruction. That um, caused quite a, uh, a stir on the interwebs and... Um, and so we got some emails about it and listened to it and talked about it. We have, we've done two episodes. One episode was just more of, hey, we're critically engaging with the piece. And the second episode was, was more along the lines of... Of all of you guys critically engaging. Yeah, with of, the piece. of you guys critically engaging. But, but here's how cool Josh is. So he, he listens to our first episode and says, hey, you know, appreciate your guys' thoughts let's talk together. And I was planning on reaching out to him with that anyway, but he totally beat me to it. And how cool. So we uh, threw it out on uh, Facebook, hugely popular website, and <laughs> Instagram. Nate and, yeah, <laughs> Nate's Instagram. And, uh, and said, hey, what, we're having Josh on. What kind of questions? And I don't know, we probably got 25 or 30 or more questions. And they were super articulate. I spent several hours last night, copying them down, organizing them into five different sections. So I didn't ask them all verbally the way that you wrote them, dear listener. Right. But um, the, the, the questions seemed to break into, hey, Josh, what was your intent behind the article? Right. What's your definition of deconstruction? Did you talk to anybody who, who was deconstructing? Um, is deconstruction always bad? You mischaracterize deconstruction. Hasn't deconstruction always been a part of the faith? And then what would you change if you were writing the article again in light of some yeah. of the pushback you've received? Yeah. And I want to make it really clear. Like, the, the, I was worried about recording an episode like this because Tim, neither Tim nor I represent um, the right. official council of deconstruction people and you know have some authority to call forth Tim, who has betrayed, you know, our articles of incorporation or something. I mean, all I know is that I don't know nothing. Yes, yes, I don't know nothing, neither. And, um, <laughs> and so it's another segment. We were no, nothing, neither. Yes, Tim's not knowings of nothing, neither. <laughs> um, and so, so we, you know, it, we tried to walk a line of like we're not here to interrogate josh about his article right. he's being gracious to respond um and so we wanted to just kind of have a conversation more deeply into some of the points he was making and one of the things yeah. that we established early early on in the podcast is very rarely do we just debate people that in the moment of of an interview we want to hear their best stuff and so josh went deeper into some of the things um, that he brought up in the article. And so I think you'll find it really helpful and stimulating. And, and you may not at, end up agreeing um, at all, but there's, uh, there's more context there. And, and I think it's a kind of practice we want to get into as Christians to show this sort of generous hospitality with each other with whom Absolutely. we disagree. And um, not only in our criticism, but allowing um then Josh to come and and clarify or tell us where we missed him or misunderstood or misrepresented him. Yeah. So with that, we'll link that original article, um Timothy's uh 
um, type worthy um, topical talents. Um, and, uh, and you can check that out and then I'm getting out of control. I know. Seriously. Um, anyway, I hope you enjoy the episode. Josh is just great. I know it's a long, it's a long episode. We were over an hour with him, but there were so many great things you all were bringing up that we wanted to hit at least the majority. So thank you for doing that and uh, hope you enjoy the interview until next time, friends. Thanks. Ladies and gentlemen, this is awesome. Joshua Ryan Butler is here with us. So if you're if you're late to the to the podcast episodes that uh, that we've had a couple of uh, the last couple of episodes, um, Josh wrote an article on deconstruction that provoked a, a brouhaha. Could we call it? <laughs> yes. Uh, a a um, just a, just all sorts of great conversation. <laughs> We, of course, because so many people are just waiting, you know, for another couple middle-aged white dudes to, to weigh in on theology. We, of course, had to respond. And then um, people responded to our response. So we did another one. And then Josh, the stud that he is, said, hey, I listened to the first one. And if you guys want to keep talking, let's keep talking. And so, man, we're so grateful to have you on. And we have questions for you my friend how are you doing yes. first of all yes great man well first off thanks you guys yeah i appreciate you guys a ton mike and tim and just dude thank you i loved listening to the first one i shared it online i told you hey this is a great resource uh, i think it furthered the conversation in a lot of great ways so yeah man i was just stoked for the chance to get to process through some of the ideas together and interact on it i know but no one does this and and or and no, or no one does it graciously and so thank you for receiving our episode from the heart with which it was intended oh. and um i'm just so proud of you for wanting to engage with this stuff i think it's i think it's the coolest thing ever um before we dive in so we asked our audience um our incredibly freaking intelligent audience let me just tell you, tell you that right now it was like reading some <laughs> seminary textbooks through some of these questions <laughs> were... right it was amazing so, so questions for you um but before we get there as you listened to our episode was there anything we misrepresented or got wrong flat out wrong or that you disagree with or any of that stuff um i'd love to give you the floor to say hey I would have, you know, maybe nuanced this or actually agree with you here or disagree with you there. Totally. No, man, I would say big picture, man, I loved most all you guys had to say. <laughs> that was really good. And I think we actually have a lot of common ground. So that was really cool. We can dive into that. Uh, but it was funny because I was listening to a lot of it going like, I don't actually either disagree with that or feel like it necessarily contradicted what I was writing. But yeah. that was sort of a realization I had. Um, the article as whole is like I had a particular frame in mind, I think, as I was writing it. And the realization that uh, some folks were reading it with a, a very different frame in mind that I realized like, oh, we're, we're kind of seeing this through two uh, different grids, what I'm saying. You know, so I, I thought it would be yeah. cool to kind of process through it together. So maybe to give a little backdrop, um, man, kind of the frame I had in mind, I think, was that, uh, well, maybe a little story, how, how the article came to be would be interesting. Yeah. First, you know, so I got asked to speak at a leadership conference head thing um, earlier this year, and that went really well. And I got asked by another buddy, hey, can you speak at this other kind of leadership gathering that we had? 
And um, I won't name names because I don't want to suck them into my vortex of email. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, there was a broader context to both those environments where I think everyone, you know, there were other talks, other things on themes like race and justice in the church, on this dealing with uh, the reality of abuse and cover ups and things like that in the church. And uh, some of that got addressed in the broader talk as well. So. God. And then my talk, you know, out of a, maybe take a 10,000 word talk, you kind of whittle down a 3000 word article. And then that gets edited to an 1800 word blog post. And I think a lot of that context got lost, you know? So I think the frame that I had in mind uh, while writing it was, um, just kind of, I think we've tended to treat deconstruction often in many circles as primarily just an intellectual issue, you know? And mm-hmm. so people have these questions or these answers. And so it becomes kind of a, apologetics type thing. Right. And, and I get that. I mean, I've written books that help address some you know, tough topics of the faith and all. Uh, and the heart of the article for me was kind of going, dude, when you walk with people, you dig beneath the surface, there's actually a lot more going on in people's stories. Like they've got wounds they've experienced from other Christians. They've got disillusionment from the moral failures of the church. They've got, um, and some crappy teaching, you know, that, that's kind of playing out, but they just assume they may, they've, they've got some fundamentalist backdrop, but they're assuming that's like historic Christianity. Uh, They've got a desire to kind of live on their own two feet, autonomously from God kind of on their own terms, or um, they may have uh, some social pressure they're experiencing facing. And so, uh, and the good news of the gospel, I think is that the gospel actually has remedies for those, those things as well. And so the frame I had in mind was kind of that very smaller personal frame kind of how do you walk with someone and recognize that it's way more than just an intellectual thing there's a lot more yes. going on. that piece still seems pretty plain and obvious to me <laughs> so yeah. uh and when i realized it was like whoa a lot of you know a lot of the critiques seem to be a reading so when i say four causes i'm going man these are four significant factors that can be driving in someone's story as they're entering a process of construction what i found i think the four causes language other people read that and this is probably on me for not doing a better job giving more clarity in the writing of our article framing it but i think people came in going these are the four causes kind of socially culturally ideologically ecclesially driving the deconstruction phenomenon at large yes yes and and i was just going dude yes (laughs) that's that's a vitally important conversation it's what i have loads of thoughts on it was just kind of way bigger than the frame of reference i had in mind for this little article that was going to be kind of a, you know, that was um, a summary for people who were interested in your talks. Totally. Totally. That was sort of a, um, yeah. So, so all I'd say, man, I think, uh, that, that, um, dude, it's a really important conversation. And I'm, Mm -hmm. and I, and so I listened to a lot of stuff. You guys are saying, I was like, yeah, yes. And amen. Let's, let's, (laughs) <laughs> but i do think yeah i think that context or frame that i had in mind was kind of like you got a yeah. friend family member in the living room and they're just going man i'm kind of wrestling with my faith right now i just don't know if i can believe god anymore or whatever and the heart behind was kind of go um dude how do you be attentive not going to kind of question answer mode apologize whatever be attentive yes to yes yes story you want me at the surface and i think the um the way it got uh, the, the the frame that many received it in, I think, was kind of a here's the be all end all on what's happening with deconstruction in American yeah. church world right now, and that that indeed I'll, I'll own. I think it was a part of that that I I should have done a better job seeking clarity in how I kind of framed and uh, in the writing of the article probably to make that more 
explicit. I think I assumed it. And you know what happens when you assume. (laughs) Oh, good Lord. Oh, oh man. I've done my share. Absolutely. But that, but but that's interesting because one of the, one of the questions we got from our audience was, Hey, what do you hope to accomplish? What did you hope to accomplish when you wrote this? And, Mm -hmm. And that I think is a much different takeaway than a lot of uh, the people we've interacted with. Uh, they didn't come away thinking, man, thank you that somebody's seeing that there's a bigger picture than just like, hey, I'm not sure I believe the virgin birth, that there's yeah. trauma behind this, there's all sorts of things behind this. Um, and so I think that that's a great sort of place to start is to, is to say, okay, great. Um, uh, and, and I think that... You know, articles are tough. I mean, 1,800 words, so all the grace, all the grace there. But yeah, the cause word was probably the one that was people were stumbling over in terms of, um, oh, okay, well, my de- deconstruction doesn't fit into any of these categories. So um, another question we got, and, 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 and this sort of fits into the uh, kind of the first category. And thank you so much for receiving these. We have, like, we just have a great, community and um it's so fun to be able to do this um but but we got a question on instagram how how does josh reconcile writing an article that opposes deconstruction after writing a book skeletons in god's closet that is all about deconstructing our traditional ideas of heaven hell and resurrection (laughs) so the tonal may you know maybe there was a difference in tone or whatever and you're in part of your answer to that is well i was addressing two totally different audiences but how does that question strike you mm, yeah no it's a great question uh you know i mentioned in so a couple of thoughts first is uh, you know, i mentioned in the article and i do believe like there are good versions of deconstruction and uh I, the imagery i use i mentioned my a buddy of mine seth trout i will name drop because he's brilliant on this part and uh, what's, and his, I, what's I his name again uh, Seth Trout. Okay. And what his observation was going on, we see two kinds of deconstruction in the Bible. We see uh, the serpent in the garden, kind of the, did God really say? And then we see Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard it said, but I say, and kind of going like the, there's two different, I think, postures or mindsets that work there, you know, and the serpent in the garden, the posture mindset is um, the serpent's goal is to kind of cast doubt on the character of God, the goodness of God, the purpose of God to ultimately create kind of distance and alienation between us and God, us and God's people, all those kind of things. Um, and unfortunately, I would I would argue, and this we can get a submit if we want, but I would argue that that seems to be a lot of the, um, uh, I would say, yeah, a lot of the deconstruction phenomenon today seems to have that as a lot of the gas on the fire, right? But other side, you know, the Jesus version, uh, you've heard it said, but I say is when Jesus is willing to deconstruct unhealthy traditions and healthy interpretations, unholy things that have built up amongst the people of God. Like he's not talking about, he's talking to the people of God. Um, but the posture is in order to ultimately reconstruct in a way that draws us into deeper union with Christ, intimacy with Christ, closeness with him and his people and, and, and all that there. So uh, what I saw myself doing in skeletons and in the pursuing God was, um, and still see myself trying to do in the current book I'm working on and, uh, and all, but it is seeking to deconstruct some caricatures, some unhealthy, uh, you know, kind of understandings that people might have some misconceptions of more robust historic Christianity uh, in order to reconstruct or enter into 
more of the, the real thing, you know? And, uh, so, um, yeah, so all that to say, dude, I think there are good versions, like a good version involves dismantling, um, some of the unhealthy caricatures or versions or dysfunction in the church, all those kind of things in order to reform the church in order to build a healthier, more proper understanding of who God is in, in the gospel and all. Um, and, you know, I, I think another good version is just going like, I think some have mentioned, you know, we always grow through pollution. Yes, totally. Like, you know, when you're a kid and what he was mentioning as well, you know, like you're a kid and you hear, uh, um, Jesus lives in your heart, you know, or you invite Jesus to receive him in your heart. And you have this picture of dude, yeah. little stick figure yeah. Jesus in your aorta, you know, and you kind of grow up and you have to kind of deconstruct that in order to enter into more what that meant or signified, like the spirit of the living God of Christ indwelling and inhabiting uh, our lives and renewing our affections, our desires. And so all that, yes. And amen. But I would say like, at least in most of my friend circles and people that I walk with, with what the deconstruction phenomenon tends to be describing today, it's less of those two, in my experience. And it's more of that did God really say that's leading to an alienation from Christ and his people. And, and, all that. and that may be an area we disagree. We, we talk about that in, but yeah. that, that, that I, I actually intentionally did kind of go, I want to acknowledge the good version, but when 98.5% of what I see feels like the bad version, I don't mm-hmm. want to kind of front and center that the way that I maybe used to. Yeah. That yeah, bad yeah. version is kind of ends with, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it kind of ends, it's, it's a path that you would see as like kind of throwing the baby out the bathwater at a certain point, like that once you start to question things with that intent, that leads to just kind of wandering in a pasture being like, well, then what mm. does that feel accurate? Yeah. Yeah. So, so that, that it seems like there's such a fine line because, um, when I'm deconstructing traditions, I was told that God did say them. And mm-hmm. so to have someone say, hey, did God really say, um, you know, let me take whatever art, you know, or the Genesis is completely literal, right? That's like, I don't know. I, I, I totally get what you're saying. And there is, um, I think there is a difference between healthy and unhealthy, you know, um, but I'm, I don't know that I can clarify it as finely as a distinction as that. You know what I mean? Because there there seems to be like, I mean, I was told that complementarianism was part of the gospel. And you may, I don't know where you are on that. But, you know, I, I don't think it's part of the gospel, personally. Um, but there there's a moment when when someone has to whisper, hey, did God really say this? Or, you know, so so how do you... And, and, and how, so how do you kind of discern or can it be some of both and you have to just sort of let it uh, play out before you can see which kind it is? Yeah, you know, and there could be some context here that is factoring into it. You know, so my hometown, Portland, 40 years where I grew up in and now in a college campus environment, a lot of the context in which I see the deconstruction language and process taking place is tends to be in an environment that is uh, moving people away from Jesus and his people. You might say, right. And, uh, but I do think that like I zoom out and broader national conversation, you know, I've 
read Jesus and John Wayne, listened to Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast. I'm seeing, yeah. you know, abuse cover-ups in the church. I'm seeing totally crowds of people chanting, let's go, Brandon. I'm seeing, and <laughs> a lot of that feels very foreign to my kind of immediate context that I'm operating in, you know, but I, I, I get that actually what many people maybe in the Bible belt or in different parts, you know, in different contexts that, um, what, what they're describing with deconstruction may be very different from the kind of phenomenon I'm kind of that's, seeing. No, that's really good. We actually got a couple questions about that. Did, did your, did Portland and then, um, uh, Arizona, did that sort of affect, cause the, the, some, the predominant emotion that I pick up from people, not that we're, you know, some experts on any of this, but the emotion that I feel undergoing it and the emotion that we see expressed a bunch towards us has been grief and mm -hmm. lament and sadness. It's, it hasn't been, you know, God, you're no longer here. You're, you know, I, I, I mean, there certainly, certainly acknowledge that there are some of that. Absolutely. But it's almost been like the loss of a loved one. It's it's mm. it's felt like a divorce mm. more than it's felt like a drifting away. You know, it's been more like, oh my goodness, this and and even you know, if you've listened, Tim sort of represents that voice on our podcast a lot of just exasperation of all the things you just listed, Josh, and and how in the world do we reconcile this mm. with the person and character of Jesus? You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I, I saw, at least online, and in some of the responses, that the the question of, well, do you not see our grief here? This isn't a, this isn't a. I just want to go do something else. This feels like a this this hurts. Tim, you want to mm -hmm. add anything uh, to that? No, I think yeah, I think you hit it on the head. Like with the the most predominant question. And we shared the questions with Josh, just so everybody knows. Oh, yes. We let Josh know the questions we were going to ask because we want to create yeah. a really healthy dialogue. And the most predominant one, obviously, was like, well, how does he define deconstruction? Like, totally. The the way that that was, the way that you were articulating things in the article, I think people were like, this is not my experience. This is not my experience. This is not my experience. And so I think it is... We're in, a, we're in such a weird time period. It's not like deconstruction. Maybe that term is new, but it's obviously that that's not a new process. But as you've experienced with this article, we're in the most like interconnected global conversation mm -hmm. we've ever been in history. So that changes everything. Cause now like this is an unprecedented time. I hate that term, but yeah. <laughs> it is in a way an unprecedented time where, you know, you wrote an article in Arizona that people in Russia are reading and then, and then are able to yes. comment back to you in real time on Twitter or whatever. So it's like that that's never been the case before. Like totally. we're in a really weird. So, you know, uh, opening up to our audience and, and, and then being like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm in this process. It is very painful. Uh, this feels like it maybe minimized the, the, what I'm going through and then being able to immediately interact back with that mm -hmm. grief and lament that's a new, that's a totally new feature to our existence. So mm. yeah, I think that that is, people are really like, how does he define this? And I think you just kind of did that. And I'm curious too, at the beginning of that, is the article intended for church leaders, like people who are walking with people through different versions of deconstruction? Is that what you had in mind in part of that too, is that, um, cause some of the deconstruction 
when you're saying like it's good teaching versus bad teaching or this or that there's like this is this may be the cause and then this is how you may come alongside somebody to uh speak into that cause does that make sense is that no it's a great great question yeah you know i think uh yeah church leaders will be a part of that but i also think just say here in our congregation you know like we've got yeah. a lot of people i know who friends or family or loved ones where they're entered into this process and so I, I do think the uh heart behind it was for them as well going uh don't treat it as only an intellectual phenomenon kind of thing. you know like there's more mm-hmm. going on in people's stories so i think caring for the whole purpose person, you know, as I kind of went out of the end of the article, but is going to take time. It's going to involve intentiveness and asking good questions and not coming in as just the, the answer person with all the whatever yeah. answers. Because I think yeah. a lot of people received it as it being for them in that position. That's what I'm interpreting a lot of is like, mm. um, I see what, I see what you're saying right there. And I see that when I read it, that there is this idea of this is how you can come alongside somebody, but the people, I think a lot of people received it in the Valley of their despair. And they're just kind of like, what <laughs> I, you know, it's not my fault. You know, I listened to the interview with, um, uh, what the new evangelicals. I, sh- I should remember his name. It's Tim, uh, <laughs> new evangelicals. And I know that was a lot of his like, his pushback was like, this is, it's not our fault. It's not our fault. It's not our fault. And I think that that, even in the responses that we got, you get a lot of that, like, it's not my fault that I was abused. It's not my fault that X, Y, and Z happened. And so there's that kind of spinning moment for people Mm. where they're kind of like, I don't know what to do with this information because I don't, I didn't put myself here. Mm. And then they're kind of like, how do I, where do I go from there? Cause right now I'm just spinning in a circle and I'm, trying to reconcile all of these different issues and forces and things that are coming in and information and disinformation and shame and guilt and uh, loneliness or whatever. And then I don't know how me saying, yes, good teaching would help me here because, and then we can disseminate that out too, but right. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. That was a long addendum to Mike's question. I like (laughs) it. Oh no! Yeah. I was just—I was going to say, Josh, if this ties into where you were going, how would you define deconstruction? Great. Well, uh, really quick too. Maybe if I can just speak to Tim yeah. too. Yeah, because I, you know, when I talked about in the first one, the church hurt, which I kind of mm-hmm. use broadly for ways Christians have wounded me, ways uh, mm-hmm. become disillusioned by the moral failures of the church and all. And when I talk about lament and grief in there. Um, I, I was kind of surprised, but I, I guess I get it, that some people saw it as a minimizing where I see lament as a deep, long process. So I had some folks say like, oh, have a good cry and get over it. And I'm like, no, <laughs> like, like I, so lament, uh, even that section came out of a series we did this summer on Nehemiah. And I was just struck with the opening of Nehemiah where he's struck by the walls of God's people are in ruins. The identity of Jerusalem, the city of God, the people of God, like is in it's rubble, you know, and, and Nehemiah's response is not right away. Like, Hey, let's go get to work or let's whatever for like months. Like he, he fasts, he prays, he weeps, he's in sackcloth and ashes. And he essentially says, God, you deconstructed us <laughs> because of you guys want the corruption and rot, like the curses in Deuteronomy, the stuff that we have, you like, God, you have deconstructed us because of the corruption and rot in us. And he brings that before God in lament and grief. And I agree with something, you know, you guys mentioned that someone else uh, mentioned as well. 
um, that perhaps like deconstruction is the lament. I, I agree with that in, in part, but I do think that in, in my kind of vision or framework of it, uh, lament is not just the sadness, it's bringing the sadness before God and actually bringing it like through. So things like prayer and confession and fasting and all those things are actually vehicles for taking our sadness and bringing it before God. And it's not going to be a overnight process. It could be a long process. And that can involve counseling and all sorts of other things to actually deal with some of that pastor. And I, I, I think obviously, man, I believe firmly that there's a need for justice and accountability and reform in the church and all those things as well. Um, but uh, just to say for me, like the lament was in no way a, an attempt to minimize it in any way so much as to actually say like, no, there's good resources available for dealing with um, the hurt or disillusionment that we've experienced in, in, in the gospel. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, no, yeah no, but, that totally makes sense. But to your guys, you know, another thing you mentioned that uh, was interesting <laughs> to me, I had loads of people in these conversations, you know, so one of the things I tried to do when I realized, whoa, there's, there's uh, some people didn't, didn't like the article. That's fine. Uh, but I was like, yeah, I want to listen, you know, so I blocked out time and really tried to make myself available to listen to people. You know, I would read all the critique. I, I don't have time to respond to everything. You know, I'd read all the critique. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of stuff that was in good faith, um, I would reach out and I had a load of phone conversations, things with people who are upset by the article. And one of the common themes I found experiences was kind of interesting was uh, going into the conversation. They'd say exactly what you mentioned earlier. Those four categories don't describe my experience, you know? And I would be like, okay, I believe you. That's fine. Like, I don't think they're exhaustive, whatever, but yeah. I'd love to hear your story. And then as people go on to describe their story, it would inevitably fall into one of those four categories. <laughs> right? So there were a number of conversations where I remember two back to back where someone like an hour story and and it got to, um, you know, I love Jesus for the church. And then I learned about textual criticism and the, the Bible was not a divine guidebook that dropped straight out of heaven, you know, and I'm going, well, then it sounds like you had some poor teaching on the Bible being a divine guidebook but we dropped out of heaven and how we got the Bible. All right. And then the very next conversation I walked into is someone going, saying, like, I love Jesus, probably the church. And then I learned about evolutionary biology and I realized my faith just isn't working. I'm like, well, and it sounds like you had some bad teaching on doctrine of humanity and anthropology and how it fits into create, you know, oh. like, that, that was incompatible with evolutionary biology. So, um, but then there were other, so that was, you know, one lens of stories I heard, but then there was another lens of stories that were things like, it wasn't because of, it was, be, you know, it wasn't because of those four categories. It was because I saw the uh, racism in the church, the white nationalism, I mean, the cover up of these scandals. And I was going exactly, I mean, that, that feels to me like, yeah. Just, well, you know, I, I tried to define the church pretty broadly to go about disillusionment with the moral failing of the church and ways the church is wounded. So, um, so and all I have to say, like, um, dude, I want to be humble. I want to be a good listener. And I get maybe you know, I could have written something more clearly, perhaps. But after the last few weeks of really seeking to listen, um, I believe there could be more categories in those four. And I can even think of one or two. But virtually all of the stories that I've heard still feel like they do um, fit into that, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. those buckets of some of the world. Yeah. yeah. I got to wait. Mike, you asked a question. No, I, no, yeah. Josh, th this is, this is so good because we're not some tribunal arbitrating whether or not your article was good. <laughs> we're just, you know, this is just fun. We want to be a community that sits around and talks about really good and important stuff. Together, well, and so. evidence from the, 
this is just like this is a very this is the conversation mm. right now like yeah. as evidence from the our our community and then just the people that you've been in contact with like this this struck a nerve because the nerve is exposed like it's a it's a yeah. very yeah. this is a very very relevant so i think every conversation we have on this and trying to nuance out um you know the blood of the the issue or whatever that's yeah people in their cars right now like they're whether they're angry or they're sad or they're whatever they're like in the process of this right now and they're like they <clears throat> i think these conversations are helpful i hope they're helpful yeah so so let's get back to that that idea of deconstruction because that was <laughs> a, i think a lot of people at least from our community we're wondering it, for you is deconstruction just deconversion and like what what is your operating definition of deconstruction and it doesn't have to be you know some formal quotable thing it can just be whatever framework you've got that you were operating from that's great well yeah here i'll share the i'll read the in the introduction to the article i, I kind of linked to it you know i was sort of trimming down yeah. but i linked to an article where um in the intro that was defined this way and this is the way I'd see it. Uh, deconstruction is the process of systematically dissecting and often rejecting the beliefs you grew up with. Uh, sometimes the Christian will deconstruct all the way to atheism. Some remain there, but others experience a reconstruction. Uh, but the type of faith they end up embracing almost never resembles the Christianity they formerly knew. Um, so I would say that's kind of, and again, I don't think that's always a bad or a negative experience. I think that there can be a Experientially, I think a lot of folks are deconstructing out of a fundamentalism, you know, mm -hmm. and if it's deconstructing that in order to enter more of the historic global church, I mean, whether that's Catholic, Orthodox, Anglican, Anabaptist, yeah. like big church, little church, like I have a very broad, generous vision of what, you know, what the historic global church is. Um, but if it's reentering kind of the, if it's deconstructing the little shanty of fundamentalism out in the backyard <laughs> to reenter the majesty of the, the big home, then I'm yes and amen. Uh, but experientially, and again, this could be because of Portland College Channel, but experientially what I'm seeing, it's that's not often the direction of what it's heading towards. Yeah, what, yeah, what are you seeing? Yeah. Like if there, if there was yeah. like, like an average deconstruction story, what's the story that's kind of in the, in the background as you were engaging with this? Totally. Uh, maybe a metaphor would Love be... Metaphors. <laughs> Uh, so I had two friends who were in London recently, and they sent me uh, this picture of um, a building on Hyde Park. So if you're familiar with Hyde Park, it's like uh, what Central Park is to New York, Hyde Park mm -hmm. to London. Right? And so uh, and this building uh, on the edge of Hyde Park, it's like a historic, it's almost like a church, like the facade, the front of this beautiful historic building. Um, only it's kind of under construction behind it. And uh, there's, so I guess there's this law in London or something that you can't remove or tear down the facades of these historic buildings. And so instead, uh, there's a big banner right next to this building that says deconstruct UK. And, and what has happened is they've removed the walls. They've gutted out the entire inside the foundation's getting pulled out. And so if you're in Hyde Park, looking at it, you can see the facade or face of this big ancient historic building. But when you look through the windows, there's nothing behind it. Like it's all whatever. And so what my, my concern is, has been, is that in the environments I'm in, at least a lot of what the deconstruction seems to be is tearing out the guts of a historic Christian orthodoxy and still being left with perhaps 
the facade or eventually kind of like, how do I even need that anymore? And like that pop window. When my, at least from where I sit, it's kind of like, dude, I think there's a beautiful historic mansion here, you know, or a beautiful historic, uh, there's an architecture um, to both the doctrine and ethics of the Christian faith that yes, it needs reform. Yes. There's junk we've got to deal with and all, but uh, I think what is the end game that the process is oriented towards? And mm-hmm. I'm concerned that there are many cultural ideologies that we often don't recognize that are driving some of the modern deconstruction phenomenon that are actually have as their ultimate game, a dismantling of the historic thing. What, yeah. yeah. What, are, what are some of those? Yeah. Well, maybe one angle to talk about that, you know, would be uh, the, the fourth cause uh, got the biggest pushback. I think street cred. So, you know, <laughs> that one, yeah, people yeah. do not like that one, right? And, uh, and so I hear, I, I, I hear, you know, one of the uh, critiques that people had, um, and I get it was for one dude, I've lost family or friends. There's relationships that it's, it's strained or been painful for. Um, so this has been a painful process. I didn't ask for it. I wasn't in, Dude, I get and affirm that all day long, like, yes and amen, right? Um, but I still feel like it's it's a significant driving factor. And, and here's here's a few maybe reasons why. Um, what I was trying to describe by street cred was just an accommodation to social pressure, some of the social pressure that's there today. And the reality is this works both ways. So back in the day in Christendom or the Bible Belt, however many, you know, years ago, whatever, but like, there was street cred there. Like, dude, if I call myself a Christian, if I go to church, that gives me credibility in public. So I think, you know, I think of like the realtor and the Bible belt is like, you know, if I go to church, whatever, that's a lot of potential clients or customers, you know, they're not going to say that, but they might be thinking that or politicians throughout American history have identified as Christian, but times because you're not going to get elected if you don't. So so the street cred cuts both ways. I get that. But I think uh, a few observations on our current cultural climate, where I think the street cred is pushing in the other direction. Uh, the first one I'd say is the power of relational networks. Uh, so um, Rodney Stark is uh, influential in the sociology of religion. And one of these he's most famous for there is his work on the role that relationships and relational networks play both in conversion and deconversion. And not just Christianity, like this work was more on Mormonism originally and how the Mormon faith like grew and exploded so quickly, so rapidly. Uh, But he's also applied it to like early church. How did the early church go from this kind of obscure marginal movement to like, boom, a few centuries, you know, uh, significant in the Roman empire. And the findings that are now kind of widely accepted in sociology of religion is that when people are articulating their own conversion or deconversion stories, uh, we will front load the ideas. And so it's kind of like, dude, I looked at the ideas and I just became convinced ultimately this isn't true. But while those are a big factor, uh, what Stark's kind of famous for is looking at how what's often not recognized or talked about is the power of the relationships and relational networks at work behind the scenes. And I don't think that's um, trying to ex- say like with Christianity or the religion, I don't think that's like explaining it away. Like it wasn't God, it was just relationships. I, I think we actually see that in the gospel. Like God is a relational Trinitarian God. He works through the church as a communion of faith, the body of believers that how blessed are the feet of those who bring good news. Like God sends the message through other, you know, so the power of relational networks, I think that's like sociologically true and theologically true when it comes to conversion, deconversion. Mm-hmm. That'd be one observation. That's kind of the social part, but how about the pressure part? So the second observation would be um, 
the presence of cross pressure. And so here I'm thinking of uh, Charles Taylor, famous philosopher, his work is secular age. Um, uh, so not just in the Christian world, but just the broader world, like respected for his kind of understanding of what are some of the defining marks of our contemporary secular age. Yeah. And one of the things he says, uh, he talks about is like one of the chief marks of our current age and moment is what he calls cross pressure. And it's this idea that all of our beliefs are kind of under this implicit pressure by being in a society environment where people don't see the world the same way you do. Right. So back in the day, if you're an ancient pagan, you believe in Zeus, everybody in your family believed in Zeus, everyone in your tribe believed in Zeus, everyone around, you know, there was no pressure on your belief because it was just kind of held up common. Uh, but today, you know, urbanization, globalization, also, we were kind of constantly bumping into uh, context and environments that put an implicit pressure on the beliefs that we hold. And that's fine. I mean, that's, that's, that's just reality. That's fine. But I think that's one of the reasons why deconstruction, the phenomenon can be more present historically in like urban centers and in college campus environments is because often you've got someone who's uprooting from say, the traditional home they grew up in, small hometown, everyone kind of saw the world the same way. So you find yourself in this environment where more transient and you're encountering a lot of different police perspectives. And that puts an implicit pressure on what you hold. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you got those two. I think that speaks to the pressure of social pressure. Mm-hmm. So you've got the power of relational networks, the presence of cross pressure. And then the third big ingredient, I think that you kind of explosively add to the concoction is the pervasiveness of the internet. Dude, right. it's three P's. Oh, yeah. You just three gave P's. us three it's P's. Alliteration. <laughs> so I can't get the preacher out of me. It's the alliteration. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> but the pervasiveness of the internet suddenly explodes, like in a in a like expands, maybe right? It expands Absolutely. the relational matrix that we're all in. It expands yeah. the cross pressure, the amount of ideas and the different conflicting things that we're encountering, all that. And all that is just at one level, we're not asking for that. That's just the society we're in. Like we are in uh that world now you know and that's all getting in but i do think there are ideologies that begin to surface and drive behind that if we're going to go to kind of principalities and powers and, and, and all that you know and so for example i think when someone is deconstructing i think one of the dangers there can be kind of a sense sometimes of like um it can be seen as a neutral process like i'm just sort of being neutral here i'm finally uh really facing reality as it is i'm finally really looking inside to see what i really believe. And, and I get that being the feeling, but I think it can be naive to the ideological currents that we're all swimming in. And what are those ideological currents? I'd probably summarize them to something like Foucault on crack, having a baby with the cult of authenticity, you know, and like, and like, right? but you asked earlier, like, what is ideology? Yeah, 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 yeah. I feel like that is a strong ideological pressure that is forged and fomented in sort of the sociocultural matrix that we find ourselves in. And it's not neutral. It's actually seeking to drive somewhere where, uh, again, kind of that to rip out the guts of <laughs> perhaps the historic Christian faith. Whereas I would want to come back theologically and go, um, I believe Jesus has been exalted over all of heaven and earth. He's on the throne. He's established his church. He's building his church. Like the gates of hell will not overcome it. And yes, there are wolves amongst the sheep. There is corruption and rot that needs to be reformed. There is all that. And yet um, I'm concerned that some of the ideology that seems to be driving a lot of the, phenomenon, deconstruction phenomenon, at least as I'm experiencing it, seems to be at odds or running against the authority and victory of Christ at work 
And that gets back to the original <laughs> distinction of the, the serpent versus. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That pushback is me processing out loud. Just trying no, to. No, no. Bro, this is, again, we're, we're not. We're not in the in a in the bema seat of judgment here. We're we're. <laughs> oh, I'm processing. Know. I'm in the processing seat. Um, <laughs> the always <laughs> with the cockpit that I inhabit. The um, I'm trying to think about the, like. Well, what was I going to say? Oh. This is in some ways this feels like it's a macro conversation. I'm wondering. I'm trying to distill it down for like the individual who's not a part of a church or. Um, maybe doesn't have a robust theological background mm. and they just, you know, they're spinning a little bit and it's on micro, it's on, or not micro, but more, maybe it's on more specific elements of the macro conversation. And um, look, so for example, again, like everything you just said and kind of what I brought up to you, like this is a, a, we're at a, I think we're at a significant turning point in history like just the way technology has connected us or has divided us, um, the amount of information that we have to process on a daily basis, we're not necessarily, sorry, Mike, equipped for oh. processing all of that information all sorry, the time. Sorry, I object to that word. Um, but I like I work with a lot of like you know late teens to early twenties, and so I I love that generation. I have a ton of faith in that generation. I think they're gonna change everything. I really do. But they like, we're, we're constantly having conversations about, I was just this morning having this conversation, how like the, that generation is uninterested in church. Mm. They are, they're not interested in the format. They are, they're like turned off by the rhetoric and they see through it all. They want like authenticity. They want to be seen and heard and be a part of a conversation and turn the lights back on, turn off mm. the fog machine, mm. like all that, let's just be real together and learn together and wrestle openly. And so I think the church is going to hit a, I think the church is going to hit a brick wall in 10 or 15 years when that generation becomes the ones that they're asking to tithe and to float the boat. Cause they, I don't think that, so I'm bringing that around to say like, as some of these people are deconstructing, when we talk about like uh, the good teaching or bad teaching, right? So some of that has been like, how do you, I've heard you talk to this, like how uh, people's different interpretations of what is good, and what is bad, that's changing on a daily basis. Like what is good theology? What is bad theology? Uh, you ask two different people of, or for a faith that has a gazillion denominations and fractures from just theological like discrepancies uh, to, to a 20 year old, or, you know, even I have friends in our forties that are like, I, I can't reconcile this and I don't know what to do. <clears throat> it has made like, I don't know where, I don't know that I have a question in this. I think I'm just, I'm processing <laughs> as we're talking of this like, is the, this is your seat, Tim. This is my seat. This is what I do. I'm the rambler, the wanderer. False. <laughs> but the, uh, reconciling a lot of that stuff as I'm thinking about the two different camps of people, people who are sitting in the pews, so to speak, and can have that pastor or can have that person sitting next to them kind of walk with them through questioning or crisis or doubt. And then there's the people who are like, I don't even know if I want to enter that conversation because this stuff seems like uh, destructive and bad. Like we've had some conversations on the podcast lately where 
the church and the way the church is responding, the capital C church is responding to things in our culture or, um, you know, we, when we're talking to Beth Allison Barr about like how the church reacts to feminist movements by trying to force women to submit more, like our, the church's reaction to race and to gender issues and that kind of stuff has often been the opposite. And that looks evil and that looks bad. And so when we're trying to deconstruct the guts of um, theology or the church or that kind of stuff to a younger generation who is inheriting uh, a conversation that they don't even know how to enter, um, it's it's a really difficult seat to be in to try to process either being told how to deconstruct or maybe, uh, I don't know. I don't know what the question is in there. I'm just, again, processing out loud, but there's yeah, a well, lot of... Th- the idea that deconstruction for a lot of us starts with moral outrage against <clears throat> the church, that it's that, that this thing we were promised to be bright and shiny and beautiful, you mm-hmm. know, um, the, the fruit of it is just awful in so many ways and those ways of course get highlighted and amplified what i'm interested to do is both of you guys are pastors so both of you guys are in mm. that position you, you guys are, are in, too i'm not i don't work for a church and i would in like i i it's a gift I, my friend it's a gift but as you guys are dealing with uh you know josh you've said a couple times like you've been in college areas so if there's not a more defining moment in your life than processing the world at 20 or 21 like i don't know that there is uh like what do you do with the church is so reluctant to expose its dirty laundry and to be honest and say hey oh yeah this was bad we screwed up and and really having that lament process with people of like i'm i'll i'll sit in the rubble with you because this is the reality of the situation as pastors of churches right now, knowing that this deconstruction conversation is like at the heart of a lot of what's happening in our culture right now. Like, what do you guys, how do you see this? Like, where do you see the route out of this? How do you see coming alongside people in this? What do you tell the individual that's in the car that hasn't been in a church building in 10 years and is not planning on, but still wants to be part of this conversation because there's a hope or there's a kernel in there that's still is pulling at them. The principalities and powers conversation is a, probably an entirely another uh, podcast episode to to dig into because that's that's a, his fourth P. That's yes. the fourth. Yeah, there we go. There's two yeah. in there. Yeah, that's the next one. The fourth P with uh, Joshua Rambler. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think, um, or do you want to respond to that, Josh? Sure. You know, that's a great question, you know, and, and maybe I'll respond with the story. Um, cause I wonder how much this plays in. It was interesting. Um, just on a personal level. So back in 2020, uh, kind of early, right around the time COVID hit, I personal story, yeah, I went blind in one eye, my right eye, and there was some concern or fear from the doctors that the other eye might, might be coming to. And now things are stable. Things are healthy. You know, earlier this year, things have gotten stable and healthy, but I went through about a year and during 2020, which was insane, you know, but oh. went through a year of trying to lead our church. But also um, one of the things I did was I needed to pull back from screen time, you know, like I had to really minimize. So I would hear from friends or a lot, you know, but like was sort of sucked out of sort of the national 
news cycle increasing a lot of those things uh, for for about a, a year. And I'm I mean not completely obliviously or whatever, but was not uh, kind of in the vortex of it because just my ability to be online and and whatever it was. You're and um, nothing happened. In 2020. Nothing, nothing happened, right? So, <laughs> so you're trying to lead a trend, but what that meant was I was very focused relationally in the trenches of our local church community here, uh, relationships, things that were happening here, and um, saw obviously a brutal year in many ways, but also like God doing amazing things. And and then when I kind of earlier this year, you know, like my eyesight's stable, recovered, and I peek my head out and I look at like the national church scene, and I'm like. Holy crap. <laughs> what, what is going on? You know, like, yeah. so, so I'm finding this tension or disconnect between what I'm seeing on the ground in the trenches relationally and in conversation with other leaders nationally who are, you know, duking it out in, in the trench, duking it out in the sense of like trying to do the hard work of cultivating good community. And all these are places where people can wrestle with the tough questions and doubts and, and bring those things and uh, try to engage like the fullness of their stories. Or um, and within that, I, I find myself, uh, my dude, I love reading broadly. You mentioned the church, you know, like I, the broader church, like I love reading Anglican and Catholic and Orthodox and Anabaptist, like just across the board, like a lot of different uh, voices, traditions and learning come from that. And I can look and go, dude, those are my brothers and sisters in Christ. That's, that's the church, like, that's the, the big church, you know? So um, I, all right, I don't know if I'm connecting the dots here well, but I'll just say, I find a tension between the church as I, as defined by, or as I see it in like the national news cycle, which is minimized or under my ignore that. And then kind of the church as I'm experiencing it in the trenches here in town and in relationship with others around the country who are doing the same thing, you know, and, and, um, and so I I know, I I think that's, that's part of the, the tension is going like, I see, the beauty and the mess when it comes to people of God. But I, one concern I might have is like, Tim, you brought up a great point. How much is technology and some of the different features of our moment shaping the conversation? And I wonder at times how much the national newsreel stories are driving our vision mm-hmm. of who the church is more well, than you know there's that that's i think but for me at the end of the day i think the question that i would kind of come back to is like part of i'm concerned with like what is the ultimate trajectory or goal right like a, sort of the telos if you will that's the the, the, the the telos the orientation that it's moving towards and is is the process moving towards union with jesus and his people because that's where i would say Dude, that's where life is found, salvation is found, healing is found, all that, you know? And if so, and we got to deconstruct a lot of the crap to get there, then yeah, you know, as long as like that's that's kind of the goal we're moving towards. Or is the goal movement away from union with Jesus and his people? And if that's it, that's a lot of what I'm seeing. And that may just right. be in my circles again, but that's, that's a lot of what I'm seeing. And that gives me cause for concern. Yeah. No, I, I, I totally think... There's some of that. I, I think for me, where I'm like, how? if you're really deconstructing, you don't know the trajectory. And to try to discern the trajectory in the middle of someone who is deconstructing is to almost rob them of the deconstruction and its authenticity. You know what I mean? If I'm sitting there trying to take a 22-year-old or my kids and go, hey, is this a trajectory that's towards God or away? 
I mean, at least in some of my stories and anecdotal experiences, it's looked like it was a way from God because it, the the whole package was sold as here if you if you buy the culture if you buy the subculture that's the gospel right. so when they when they were leaving the subculture they're being told they're leaving God mm. and um and so they have to Im- live into that almost um and so so yes I'm totally with you on the trajectory but how do you measure that or discern that in the middle with somebody it almost it almost seems like you just have to let like when Jesus says let both grow together you know the parable of the the wheat and the weeds that that seems to be the better approach to simply say I don't know where it's going but if I start if I start assuming a trajectory does that rob them of what their real trajectory could be if that makes sense uh totally makes sense yeah and I you know I, I fully agree I think you know uh, the giving space and patience for people to sort through things. The one, the one question I would have is, um, I think again, my, my, no, no. Sit, Dude, a lot no of disclaimers, the, no disclaimers, just go. From where I sit, like it does feel like deconstruction is often being presented as sort of a neutral playing field, you know? Yeah. And even presented as sort of a, um, virtuous or valorous process. And I have concerns that a, the depiction as neutral is actually naive again to those ideological currents that are driving. I think a lot yeah. of this um, and B that the virtuous valiant kind of, you know, process is actually um, setting people up for the, the trajectory away, mm-hmm. you know, like, so, so I, 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 I do, I, I don't want to be like, well, hey, let's just fix this. You had some church hurt, have a good cry, you know, like, or, or you had some bad teaching, let's just fix it. There needs to yeah. be space, there needs to be process. In my own life, I've gone through periods of, I mean, a yeah. lot of the books have come out of my own deconstructing my assumptions totally. of what the gospel was and pressing in. And it's not like I read one good book and then wrote skeletons. Or, you know, those like 15 years or so of, you know, <laughs> deconstructing and reading broadly and building up, you know, and re- with the goal of reading. But, but I remember, like, I got into, when I got into college and suddenly became, you know, I had this experience with Jesus became a Christian and I had all my friends and social circle around me going like, how can you believe in a God who would, da, 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 you know, like, how can you hold it? Like just that pressure coming in and going like, I don't know what to do with this, but all I could bank on was like Jesus, but I've encountered you and I can't deny that. And that led into pressing in yeah. deeper, you know? Um, but if that makes sense, like, like I, like mm-hmm. I agree with everything you're saying about, dude, I needed a lot of space and time to process through and sort through that and had friends and mentors who came alongside me in that process. And that was great. Um, but I also am concerned about some of the depiction today with the neutral playing field. And all, Cause I think there's right, actually right, right. more, more going wonder, on. Like as pastors, is it, would it be, a, a like if we were more welcoming of deconstruction and, um, questioning and wrestling as a part of discipleship. Um, does that make mm-hmm. sense? Like if, if that was more openly embraced on a larger scale with younger people or anybody and just mm-hmm. say, Hey, you know, this is a part of the process, like is asking hard questions and wrestling with ambiguity and mystery. And, mm-hmm. uh, and when, and when something terrible does happen, uh, acknowledging that and going through that 
with people so that deconstruction is normalized in the healthy way of like tearing down that which is rotten and then making room for people to sit in that and not feel threatened or afraid that they're going to spiral out. Um, Because I do think in most, I'm not saying in all churches, but in a lot of cases, um, you know, our our track history with how we embrace questioning or Mm -hmm. um, even just with marginalized folks saying like, hey, I don't want to be marginalized anymore. It's like, hey, church unity is about not rocking the boat. So be quiet Mm -hmm. and know your place, know your role, and you're going to be okay. We'll all be okay. But it's like, what? No. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I think they're making room for those conversations maybe as part of uh, you know, making space to distinguish between the two versions that you're talking about. Perhaps that's part of it. It's just that we need to be better at embracing that mm. the healthy mm. part or, or, mm. or helping to teach and walk with people into a healthier version of it rather than just letting them like toil about by themselves and then either land at one of those two spots. And it's a, it's a coin toss of with where you're going to end yeah. up. I don't know. I'm trying to, no, I'm trying no, no, to, that's good. That's good, Tim, because, and, and Josh, you'll probably agree. Well, I sh- shouldn't even say that. But like, there is a virtuousness to deconstruction that I think is necessary to the faith, right? Jesus deconstructed the disciples. Um, like, when you, when you look at um, dark nights of the soul and the ways in which I think the Holy Spirit sort of leads us into the wilderness so that, that we we learn to see God more clearly or whatever I think I think there are parts of it that are virtuous um, and so I like the idea you know so sometimes I will just call deconstruction I'll just call that discipleship right because I'm constantly renovating um, the the world I'm living in and comparing it to the reality of the text that's presented in the text and embodied in Christ and constantly asking okay do these these things line up you know and so I would hate to lose virtuous language because I do think there's a bit of it that is absolutely in the ways that you were talking about and in, in the way some of your books have sort of presented like, no, the gospel's way more beautiful than what we've been told here. And that's a good thing. It invites thing. you to wrestle with it. I think that was a lot of the, like, you know, God's people were called the, you know, wrestles with God or whatever, you know, like we're in some ways invited into this i don't know why i don't know why god did it this way but i'm sure there's i'm sure god has a much better um understanding of his own theology <laughs> than i do yeah would now what now would, is I, it, I see the look on your face josh you yeah. got stuff to say in response oh great <laughs> well no i mean uh well first off you know uh tim what you mentioned i do think that that could be a blind spot in my own experience like i think that i have always Um, been in environments since I came to faith where doubt or wrestling with tough questions was very welcomed, you know, um, it's always felt like just in the culture, you know, so, so, and then I hear from friends or other people who grew up in environments where that wasn't, no way, no way, get it like abstractly, but I don't feel it in my bones in the same way, probably because it's not, even just this week, I was, uh, meeting with someone in our church who, you know, grew up a uh, very legalistic environment and there was abuse in his own uh, family and some of the different, you know, and, and like processing through some of the grief and the different things related there and the uh, expectations that were, that were very legalistic. And, and so, um, so I, I, I get that. And I agree, uh, Tim, to what you're saying, like, I do think we need to have a culture that's 
open and welcoming to that. And it probably comes back a bit to the terminology, like how are we defining totally. deconstruction? Because I would see deconstruction as I'm as I'm trying to speak to it kind of in the article in here, uh, I'd see it a bit differently than I would having doubts or wrestling with some tough questions or the dark night of the soul kind of stuff. Like I'd say yes and amen to all those those things. But when I say the virtuous process, um, dude, and Mike, to your point too, I agree, man, there can be uh, virtuous aspects to courageously with the spirit of God confronting mm-hmm. some of the, the, uh, the things that need to be dismantled in order to move towards health and renovation, all that. Um, but when I say, I think the concern of the virtuous process, it's in the environments I'm in, if I say, uh, if, I, if, if I say, I'm just not sure I'm actually kind of wrestling with like, I get a lot of pats on the back. I get a lot of empathy. I get people rallying around all that kind of thing. Um, and so I see a lot of friends who have been in like a 10 to 20 year process of just being in that place, you know? And, and for me, uh, like when I write about the desire to sin and the street cred thing, that's not just stuff I see out there. That's stuff I see in here in my own heart where there've been times where I'm kind of wrestling with this tough question, you know, God, I don't know, man, this actually seems whatever. And then I'll kind of look within and, I've, you know, see, there's almost like a check engine light on my heart at times, you know, I look within and go, you'd actually got, there's some stuff that ways I'm wanting to live autonomously from you do my own thing. And once I actually deal with that, then it's like, well, the intellectual question kind of goes away. Or once I realized, dude, I'm in environments where it's like, man, this would be a lot easier. And I do feel like I would kind of fit it. It would relieve, it would take, it would give it the release valve on some of the social pressure I'm feeling to just, you know, and, and the, um, and I think that like, so I'm seeing friends where it's like, dude, it's, it's 10 to 20 years of just being perpetually in that that state and partly and getting a lot of kudos for it. And I feel like, man, part of being a follower of Jesus in this current moment that we're in involves like a vigilance and a resilience to actually go deeper with some of the disciplines and practices and things like that, that can root us in the midst of some of the, the, the push and pull that we're feeling around us, if that makes sense. So yeah. I don't know, that was around about the way of saying, yes, yes, I agree that there can be virtuous ways of, you know, yeah. renovation, but I, I also think there's a type of virtuousness in the way that it's presented that gives a lot of accolades and stuff that yeah. can it actually celebrates it. Yeah, absolutely. It's, so what's the old trope? It's um, you're, you're cool. If you seek, you're not cool. If you find, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. We've kept you on an hour. I'm going to do some rapid fire, Josh, to get Please, through some of these. Right, you've addressed, you've addressed most. The one was, uh, one huge one was what was the intent behind the article? You spoke to that. What's your definition of deconstruction? As you saw, there were loads of questions about that. Did you talk, Josh, did you talk to anybody who's been deconstructing? That was that we got a lot of questions about that. Great question. Yes, you know, that that one kind of caught me off guard because I was going, dude, I feel like that's been my MO for 20 years. You know, it has yeah. been, uh, you know, I would say, man, I, I was I, initially, I saw, you know, a few weeks ago, somewhere I said, question, I was like, dude, dozens of people, though, I think realistically more like 100 plus, you know, and not just like abstract, distant, but close friends, family members, church members, relationships, and some who went through deconstruction process and landed with 
Jesus and, or, you know, and some who went the other direction went away. Um, but even, uh, like interacting and, and then beyond those hundred plus, like even just broader with, um, these skeletons and pursuing out some of the books I've written and talks of you and things like that, you know, found myself interacting with loads of people who are grappling with the faith in some ways. So, uh, short answer would be yes. <laughs> I didn't feel like this was coming out of a vacuum or the ivory tower, yeah. like this, yeah. no, this woman, like out of, uh, the trenches of ministry for 20 years and just yeah. kind of seen. Yeah. And, and have you experienced, so as someone wrote, have you ever experienced such atom smashing unraveling? Yeah. Well, the atom smashing, unra- again, everyone's story is different. The atom smashing unraveling in my story was encountering Jesus for the first time. <laughs> so that uh, Jesus was a deconstruction of my former life without him. If that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. But it was, so, so there's that piece. But then there was also, I think in the process of following Jesus, there had been, uh, I mean, dude, I would say, skeletons that book as an example came out of um needing to deconstruct and dismantle some characters i had and revisit what does the historic church actually have to say about these things that kind of reframes um yeah and then other ways even my own church wounds things like that you know there's been yeah those i I can see all four of those buckets i gave in my own story totally Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm did you have you been influenced at all by the work of like James Fowler or any of those sort of stages of development of faith streams? I, I've heard of them and heard others talk about them, but I have not read them firsthand. Yeah, that was just that was just one question from a guy named Josh, who <laughs> I'm in California. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, a, a huge topic was: Is deconstruction always bad? No. Yeah, I think there's good good versions of it. Again, I do think this comes back to what many raise. How do we define the term? There's probably some muddiness there. That yep, yeah, yep. Um, hasn't deconstruction always been a part of the faith? So is it the ref- was it the Reformation part mm-hmm. of deconstruction or it began in deconstruction? Um, are there are there things that are happening that would fall under the banner of deconstruction, but are actually different things? So, like you were distinguished between deconstruction and dark night of the soul, um, and so I picked up on that one. Oh, okay, that's interesting because I would I would group that as a form of deconstruction, whereas you have a much narrower version, I think, yeah. Of, yeah. of what deconstruction is. So, so let's just start with that big question: Hasn't this always been part of the faith? Great question. Yeah. So I think, you know, I think this comes back again to some of the terminology, you know, how do we define the terms? And um, one of the things that I have been, you know, thinking about has been, do we need a different term to talk about the good version, right? Because yeah, uh, I, I would be interested to define them by their trajectory. I think I, I linked to an article yep. to Sharers and Warren uh, had, yeah. had written, I love that was kind of like reformation, not deconstruction kind of thing, yeah. you know, and, yeah. um, defining it by kind of the trajectory or goal that it's oriented towards or Scott McKnight had used the language of reconstruction, you know, which is going to entail some demolition in order to renovate, you know? So, um, so that regard, and I would say like, I think I used to, uh, front load more. I, I think I would kind of go, Hey, there's these good versions, there's these bad versions, you know, but again, it's just be my experience, but experientially, I feel like 98.5% of the people, that I'm seeing and walking with it, it feels like it's the other version, you know? And, and, and so I've, I've, I've been less prone 
as of late to front load that, that and more to nuance that in to go, yes, there are some good versions, but as I, from where I said, it feels like there is a phenomenon happening today across the, across the church that we probably need to talk a little more candidly and directly about, which we're doing right here and right now, you know, but right, right, right. Um, yeah, totally. And then one last one. And this, this is the, these are the pastors and shepherds among us. Um, what would you change if you wrote the article again? Great question. Uh, a <laughs> couple things. I think in the intro, I would try and clarify more the stuff I mentioned earlier, kind of the frame of the article. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think uh, the street cred, I would change to <laughs> clout. Maybe, you know, I got a lot of people. You do this in the 90s. I, I, I grew up on like Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and all that. <laughs> um, Strange think- things are afoot in the Christian faith. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. I, th- I think I would have tried to give more clarity to the more limited scope of what I was seeking to address. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Just kind of the, the broader. Um, and honestly, maybe even turn it into four separate posts that could dig a little more with yeah. a little more into some of the intricacies in each one. Because, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, just mad, mad respect to you, man. I mean, seriously. It, for calling people and listening to them and engaging with people who are engaging with you. I mean, man, I just, I feel like that is that posture of hospitality towards one another is so lacking in the public discussion sphere that um, I don't know. I just really think it's cool and I'm grateful that um, there are parts uh, that you're sticking to and, and saying, well, actually I even have more on those and there are parts you're like, yeah, probably could have framed it different, but God, Lord, I could I could think of every sermon I've ever done or every book I've ever <laughs> written that would be true of those things. So, so I'm grateful. I'm grateful um, for your time today, man. We've kept you over an hour, but oh, it, this did not feel like an hour even remotely. Uh-huh. Um, and as Tim was saying, this is this is such a lived and felt conversation. Um, for uh, a lot of us that I'm, I'm grateful for the stir up, you know, honestly, yeah. it, it allows us to, to dive in again on some things that I think are super important. So appreciate you, well, my friend. Thank you guys. I really, dude, I, I love you guys. I appreciate listening. I love listening to the podcast from time to time and appreciate dude, you guys, just you, both of you, you know, and, and, uh, man, I'm stoked getting a chance to process through some of this together. I think, uh, as you mentioned, one of the things, um, it surfaced. I, I'm glad it could be a catalyst for conversation, you know, cause I think it did surface. Wow. This is a, uh, I think you used the language of an open wound earlier, you know, going like yeah. dude, there's some, uh, really, uh, poignant stuff, you know, some, some themes here that are important for us to probably be talking about more rather than less as, as the church as a whole. Totally. And dude, yeah. appreciate the chance to process through some of this together. No, oh, I love it, dude. Really appreciate you. So, so check him out. He's all over, all over the interwebs these days. Um, if you've not read Skeletons in God's, I've, I've got, I've got Pursuing God too. Um, but Skeletons was the one that hit me in a, like, a time where I was beginning to think, oh, maybe the question of hell isn't as, as closed as I'd been told. 
And um, your first couple of chapters, you know, there's one line, I was telling Tim this, I think it was last episode. It's like, there's one line where you said the Bible is the, a story about heaven and earth, not heaven and hell. Mm-hmm. And that unlocked a whole bunch. So indirectly mm-hmm. you were at fault <laughs> for some of this nonsense. So um, anyway, thank you, my friend. <laughs> we're grateful for you. And, um, and we encourage people to check out your work. Thanks so much, you guys. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to this conversation. Voxology is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners just like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash Voxology. You can also join the community and hang out and chat with us on the socials. Facebook.com backslash Voxology Podcast and on Instagram at Voxology. Thank you, thank you, thank you for walking the long road with us.